Well, the Montana Grizzlies refused to go away, but ultimately Drew Timmy and the Bulldogs secured their record-breaking 72nd consecutive home win in a row, although concerns about the guard rotation remain. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. It is a special holiday episode of Locked On Zags. For those of you checking out the show on YouTube, background looks a little different for you here as I'm out on vacation. Uh, but we still got Gonzaga basketball to talk about the Zags secured a victory over the Montana Grizzlies on Tuesday evening. It was not a particularly pretty game. Uh, Unfortunately, it feels like too many of Gonzaga's games this year have been of this variety. Zags still won 85 to 75, securing their 72nd consecutive home win. That breaks a record previously held by the Arizona Wildcats. Always good to unseat Arizona from any kind of records that they may hold. It is a tremendous accomplishment for Gonzaga to have won 72 consecutive home games, wins over North Carolina, Texas, of course, St. Mary's, BYU, et cetera, a a tremendous amount of teams that have come into the kennel and not secured victories. So shout out to Mark Few and the Zags for being able to do that. This game, unfortunately, featured a lot of the – themes that we have seen this year that we kind of hoped the Alabama game had perhaps helped us put behind us. Uh, There's some factors here. Uh, Winter break, no student section, kind of a a listless performance from some of the players in part because perhaps because of a listless crowd. Uh, Winter break tends to kind of bring out some some sloppier performances. And really Montana came out and shot the crap out of the basketball. This is a, a team that looked good. This game was reminiscent in a lot of ways of the Kent State game, uh, playing a team that maybe on paper, by name, doesn't necessarily look like an opponent that should challenge Gonzaga as much as perhaps they did. Montana shot 50% from the field. They shot 40% from deep, 8 of 20 uh, in that regard. Uh, they ended up jumping out to a 20-10 to 10 lead at the second media timeout. Had a lot of people a little bit anxious, a little on edge about this uh, to, to come from the Alabama game, that monstrous victory for the Zags over the number four ranked Crimson Tide to kind of have a, a sloppy performance right after that is not entirely unprecedented but it's still frustrating because it has been kind of a theme for Gonzaga in a handful of games this year fortunately the Zags had a really nice 26 to 8 run in the second half or in the second part of the first half I should say uh, ended up leading to a nice eight point lead and then Montana just kind of they kind of hung they never really let let Gonzaga build a big lead uh, they, they did much better defensively on Drew Timmy in the second half but Honestly, as, as well as you can play Drew Timmy, it just it doesn't always matter. And this is one of those games. Drew Timmy, we are going – we are so fortunate to get to watch this man play basketball the way that he has been playing basketball throughout his collegiate career. But this game was just another testament to, to what a monstrous player he truly is. 32 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks, and all around – dominant, excellent performance from Drew. He was 12 of 16 from the field. That is – Elite almost doesn't even cover how ridiculous it is to score 32 points on 12 of 16 shooting. He was 8 of 13 from the free throw line. Not great, not elite, but much, much better than he has been for the majority of the season. So it was really nice to see Drew 
command the offense. He got out in transition. He made good passes. He grabbed good. He was good on the glass. He And then, again, only missed four shots all game, only missed five free throws out of 13 attempts. You will take that very, very happily from Drew. Uh, it's almost become commonplace to talk about Drew Trimmy performances as if they're just what we're used to seeing from him. And in some ways we are, but 32, 11 and five is just an obscenely efficient night. Yes. Montana is not, you know, caliber of opponent of Kentucky or Alabama or Baylor or teams like that, but they also have a a decent sized front court. We talked about that in the preview episode of this show kind of discussed how Montana is not like a lot of the other kind of mid-major programs that Gonzaga plays where they don't have any size at all, where their tallest players, six, eight, six, nine, Montana had multiple guys over 6'9", and they, they did a good job in the second half of trying to really smother Drew Timmy and prevent him from from having, from having doing what he had been doing in the first half. And, and Gonzaga was fortunate. Again, this may have been kind of a close game, but we really saw some guys step up in ways that we had been really needing to see them step up. And I think the first one to talk about here is Julian Strother. Strother had a couple of rough games leading up to this game. Didn't do much against Alabama. Didn't do much against Northern Illinois. We know that he was battling the flu. And I think it's pretty clear that that is beyond him. He played, I think, 17 minutes against Northern Illinois. I think he played 18 minutes against Alabama, something in that range. He came out in this game 38 minutes, basically played the entire basketball game for Gonzaga, 15 points, 10 rebounds, only missed one shot total in the entire game, 15 points on four of five shooting from the field, Two of two shooting from beyond the arc, five of five from the free throw line, insanely efficient every which way that he could have been. Uh, was much needed, much, much needed. I think if you had to pick a player to have a big game, it was either Strother or Bolton. Both those guys really needed to step up. And again, 15 and 10 is not necessarily going to pop off the box score. I think Strother had like 23 and 11 against Xavier. So this isn't his best game of the season. But again, to do it on five shots, that is spectacular he's not wasting possessions he's not he's he's certainly not a ball hog he's being efficient with the basketball hitting the shots that he needs to hit this was a really really nice performance this is the kind of tape that I think is gonna is gonna make some NBA scouts really watch and we're gonna talk a lot more about that not in this episode but soon we're gonna have some more conversations about Julian Strother and kind of what his his professional future might look like but this is the kind of game that really helps uh, remind people that hey this is a, a legitimate NBA talent here on Gonzaga's roster. And then Malachi Smith. Got to mention Malachi Smith. We're going to talk a lot more about him in the third and final segment of the show as we kind of look at Gonzaga's guard rotation, namely their their combo guard rotation, their shooting guard position. Uh, Malachi Smith has continued to really adjust well to being in a bench role. He was uh, it, it was a struggle for him early in the year. There's no debate about that. There was some concern of can he play against good teams? Is he only going to be efficient against some of these not as good mid-major caliber opponents. Uh, and I think ultimately what we were really seeing was a player who was just adjusting from being a ball-dominant guard like he was uh, at Chattanooga in the Southern Conference to being a, a bench player, a guy who really has to take advantage of only getting the basketball a handful of times a game. And that's a, that's a really hard adjustment. You think about Malachi Smith probably has never at any point in his career not been this ball-dominant guy. He was that in high school. He was that, you know, every level of basketball he played up until this season, really. And so for him, 11 points, 19 minutes, three of six from the field, one of two from deep, four or five from the free throw line, three rebounds, no turnovers. He's been really efficient with the basketball, doesn't turn it over, takes the right shots, hits shots at a a pretty high clip. Uh, His last couple of games have been outside of the Washington game, which was a big struggle for him. Uh, Other than that, he has played really fantastic lately, and it is 
so critical for Gonzaga that he continues to be this high-level, productive bench player because they're absolutely going to need that when they get into March. All right, we got more coming your way about this Montana game. We're going to talk about Hunter Salas' performance. We're going to talk about how we didn't get to see some of the bench players and what that might mean for this team going forward. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football and the NFL remain in the thick of their seasons. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still any buttons, still Locked On Zags. I want to sincerely thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, we are reviewing my five keys to the game or five things that I will be watching for in this game. Unfortunately, a handful of these weren't really things that we were able to glean much information from based on Tuesday's game, in part because of key number one, which key number one for this game was build a big lead and coast. We have been waiting and waiting and waiting for Gonzaga to have a game this year where they just blow a team out in the opening five minutes of the game. By the second media timeout, the game feels effectively over. Instead, in this game against Montana at the second media timeout, the Zags were down 10. They were down 10 points. Eight minutes into the game here, 20 to 10 at the media timeout. That is, it's just been so frustrating to see Gonzaga not put away teams. Now, Montana is a good team. They're not a great team. They're, you know, would be a a below average WCC team towards the bottom of the barrel. But Northern Illinois was a team like in the 350, 325 range, I think, for Ken Palm. Montana is much, much better than that. But Gonzaga didn't put Northern Illinois away either. They, They have struggled to put away basically every single team that they have played this year. That is uncharacteristic. Gonzaga is often a team that blows opposing teams out. It has been kind of a staple of what they have done really in the last half decade to full decade, really, of the Mark Few era. And we just haven't seen it. They went on a fantastic 26 to 8 run to close out the first half. That was huge. And that kind of really kind of put away some of those concerns that Gonzaga might not even win this one. But again, they, they never, even in the second half, they never really put Montana away. They, Montana crawled all the way back to within five. And this game was never comfortably a victory for Gonzaga at at any point. That's hard to stomach. It's hard to to not have a team be able to put away bad teams. Now, Gonzaga has not lost to an unranked team. This is is mentioned on the broadcast. They haven't lost to an unranked team in 96 games. So they they have continually beat the teams they need to beat. But they have not made it look pretty this year. And there are some concerns about not being able to put teams away not just for like hey this might cost them a game down the line which is obviously the chief concern the number one concern but it's not allowing Gonzaga to play some of the players that they might otherwise play and that kind of goes into the second key here which was a big game from Efton Reed I wanted to see Efton Reed in this game 
I want to see 10, 12, 15 minutes from Efton Reed in this game. That only happened, only would have happened, I should say, if Gonzaga put this game away early. And they didn't. They didn't put this game away at all, quite frankly, until the very end of the game. And so that didn't allow Mark Few to expand his rotation. We didn't get to see Dominic Harris. We didn't get to see the walk-ons. We didn't get to see Efton Reed. And, and like F- Reed is the player I'm most concerned about because he's a, he's a part of this team's future. You know, no disrespect to Joe Few or Colby Brooks, but, but those guys aren't, you know, their playing time isn't necessarily guiding the team towards anything in the future. Efton Reed's is. How much Efton Reed plays this year does impact his development. And he's developing behind the scenes. And we know Gonzaga is very, very good at developing big men behind the scenes. They don't have to be on the court every single game or for X amount of minutes every game in order to get much better uh, just from practice, from going against Drew Timmy every day, from getting more comfortable in the offense, learning his role, et cetera. Then Greg hasn't played a significant role in his first two seasons. Look at him in this game, nine points, three rebounds in 18 minutes. He's been fantastic for the last couple of weeks of the season. I mean, truly, truly, really over the last month, Ben Greg has been really, really good. And that development happened primarily behind the scenes. But having said that, it would be nice to see Efton Reed play some minutes. And he just, he hasn't, part of that is he hasn't earned that playing time. He, he kind of lost that playing time with some struggles early in the year. And Ben Gregg earned that playing time over him. And I think that that's the correct decision based on what we've seen this year. Ben Gregg is a better basketball player right now. He's better fit in this offense alongside Drew Timmy. His ability to stretch the floor and, and do that kind of stuff has really helped. Of course, Anton Watson, who didn't have a great game here, but has generally been, been really, really good this year. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I think is, is kind of pushing Reed out of the playing time. But these kind of games are the games you hope you see Efton Reed. And we didn't get to in this one. And that's frustrating. And then again, the non-rotation guys, we didn't get to see Dominic Harris. We didn't get to see anybody outside of Gonzaga's eight-man rotation. I don't mind Gonzaga playing a tight eight-man rotation when they're playing Baylor, Bama, Kentucky, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It would be nice to get to see some of those guys in these types of games. And again, we just didn't get to. We just did not get to in this one. Hopefully, certainly Eastern Oregon, a non-Division one opponent who Gonzaga plays on the 28th. Uh, that's the kind of opportunity for some of these guys to play. But it shouldn't take a non-Division one team for Gonzaga to get some of these guys some action. And it's been frustrating. That has been a reality for Gonzaga throughout the entire season. Again, they've played a really ridiculous schedule, but Northern Illinois is the game this could have happened. North Florida is the game that it did kind of happen, but it was also the first game of the year. Portland State, they never really fully put them away. Kent State, certainly they did not put them away. And same with this one. So we got some more opportunities coming up, obviously, as we get into WCC play. Uh, some of the weaker teams in the WCC are teams that Gonzaga could, could, could potentially do this too. But by and large, it wasn't there wasn't as much development for some of those kind of behind-the-scenes guys on the court in actual game action, as I think you would have potentially hoped. Uh, the other big key here was the transition offense. Drew, Drew Timmy did it himself, himself sometimes. He had a fantastic play coast to coast. Uh, but it's still not something the Zags are doing all that much. Part of it has been the struggles of Rasir Bolton, which we're going to talk about uh, significantly more in the third and final segment of today's show. And I think part of it, I've mentioned this a handful of times, but I think it's, it bears repeating again. It's losing both Drew, excuse me, Chet Holmgren and Andrew Nempard. I, I think... When you talk about transition offense, the easiest per- person to point to that the Zags are missing is Joe. Excuse me, is Andrew Nemhard. Nemhard was an elite, elite transition point guard. He got out in transition excellent. He made throwaway passes or throw ahead passes really well. Uh, really smart, really crafty, really quick. 
Uh, you saw him just basically dismantle Memphis in the second round of the NCAA tournament last year, purely because of his ability to go and go and go and go and get out in transition. Uh, but I think the loss of Chet Holmgren is really significant here too, just because of his ability to absolutely gobble up defensive rebounds. He was such a machine on the defensive glass. Blocking shots also leads to transition opportunities, and that's something that Gonzaga is not blocking shots this year. They're not a good shot-blocking team. We knew that they weren't going to be. This was a huge concern coming into the year was where is Gonzaga's rim protection going to come from? One of the players labeled as a potential rim protector was Efton Reed, and now he's not in the rotation. Anton Watson, Drew Timmy are – Anton Watson's a very good defensive player. Drew Timmy is more capable than I think people have given him credit for, but neither of them are shot blockers. And so when you're not blocking shots, when you're not as guaranteed to gobble up defensive rebounds, it makes it more difficult to get out in transition. And you don't have a lead guard as elite in transition as Andrew Nampard. Nolan Hickman has been fine, and I think he can be a transition guard. He just hasn't kind of grown into his comfort in that role. And then Rasir Bolton, who you kind of expect to be more of a transition guard, a guy who's very, very good at that last year, he just has kind of been a non-factor offensively lately to the point where it's, it's starting to become an issue. It's starting to become something like, does, does Gonzaga need to make a change? We're going to talk about that in the third and final segment. Before we do that, though, I do want to mention my final key of this game, which was Hunter Salas. I wanted to see a little bit more from Hunter offensively. He has remained an elite defensive player, hoping in this game we could see him take some more shots, take some more chances offensively. Didn't really come to fruition in this one. He had two points on one of four shooting. He took three threes, didn't knock any of them down. I like that he's taking more shots. I think the biggest thing for Hunter Salas in terms of his development, his growth, and his ability to continue to, to contribute for this team is his ability to score off the score. He's a great defensive player, great at taking charges, great at keeping players in front of him, active hands, all of that stuff. We know how good of a perimeter defensive player he is. He's one of the best Gonzaga has ever had. But he hasn't really found his rhythm offensively. He has been better at times this year than he was last year, but he hasn't been consistent. And this was another example of that. 15 minutes, only had two points. Again, he's always going to be more of a contributor defensively than offensively, but you'd like to see a little bit more from him than that. And so that kind of puts another interesting wrinkle into like, is where does Salas fit into the guard rotation? Malachi Smith, Rasir Bolton. And that's what I want to talk about in the third segment. Because I actually have three strong candidates to play minutes at the shooting guard position. Rasir Bolton has struggled for a, at this point now, a lengthy period of time. So it, it might honestly be time for a changing of the guard. All right, segment three, Stanley Pat is still locked on Zags, and we're still talking a little bit Gonzaga, Montana, but now we're kind of transitioning out to talk a little bit more about the guard rotation in general. Right now, of course, the front court is well-established. Drew Timmy, Anton Watson, Ben Gregg, those are your minutes in the front court. Julian Strother hasn't played very much in that small ball four role, but I think he kind of could step into that role at times. And then, of course, Efton Reed is potentially in the mix there as well. Nolan Hickman has solidified his spot as the starting point guard. He hasn't been elite by any stretch of the imagination, but the last few games he's averaged seven points, four and a half assists. He hasn't turned the basketball over in the last three games. That has been fantastic to see. Julian Strother is, of course, entrenched at the small forward position and will play some minutes at that power or at that small ball four role, although we haven't seen much of that lately. That kind of leaves that, that shooting guard position, the number two spot on the team. And Rasir Bolton came into the year as the expected starter. He has been the starter. He has started every single game for Gonzaga at that spot. But lately, he's he's really struggled. 
And this Montana game was the latest in, in kind of a long line of, of significantly underperforming performances from Rasir Bolton. He had five points in just 16 minutes of action. A lot of that was significant foul trouble. He had four fouls. Foul trouble cost him a lot of playing time. So I think you could look at the box score and see 16 minutes from him and think, oh, did he get replaced? Like, did Malachi replace him in the rotation, et cetera? And like, not yet, not necessarily exactly what happened, but, but for Bolton to only play 16 minutes, even if it was because of foul trouble, I think is a testament that maybe there's some shifting going on there. Uh, and and he didn't play well in the 16 minutes that he got. He was 0 for 3 from the field, 0 for 1 from deep. Rasir Bolton is Gonzaga's best three-point shooter. He he came into the – he shot 46% from three last year. He was over 50% in conference play. And he's just – he's not taking them. 0 for 1, one three-point attempt. Again, only 16 minutes, but you want more – from your, your, one of your better offensive players, the guy who's kind of expected to be the third scorer on this team coming into the game. And he just he hasn't been that guy at, at almost any point this year. He's had a few good games, but really, really struggled for the most part. And again, five points, all coming at the free throw line, all late in the game, no field goals made, no three-point field goals made. He also only had one rebound and one assist. So we're just, it was just a basically empty performance from Rasir Bolton in, in what has been a, a streak of, of pretty empty performances. Dating back to the Baylor game, let's start with the Baylor game. The last six games for Rasir Bolton, he has played 25 minutes per game. He has averaged 7.2 points, 2.2 assists, 1.7 rebounds. Bolton is shooting just under 32% on two-pointers during that stretch. He's also only shooting 28% from three and 74% from the free throw line. That's far from bad, but that is a significantly lower number than what we have seen from Rasir Bolton last year and really throughout his collegiate career. So again, we're talking about a guy last six games, seven points, barely two assists, less than two rebounds, shooting 30-ish percent from the field overall in those two games. John Hollinger created a stat called Game Score, which is used on basketballreference.com. It gives you an overall score, or in this case, an average score, of each of your games, his score is 3.5. That's not good. Uh, for reference, in those same six period, six games, Malachi Smith's game score, 7.9. More than double the game score performance of Rasir Bolton. Now, game score isn't one of those stats that can be taken not super seriously. I can understand some consternation or some kind of eye-rolling at an advanced analytical number like that. But let's look at some more specific numbers. Malachi Smith, last six games, 9.3 points, three rebounds, 1.2 assists, 1.3 steals in 20 minutes per game. Malachi Smith is shooting 45.8% from two, 44.4% from three, and 77% from the free throw line. For reference, every single one of those numbers is higher than Rasir Bolton with the exception of rebound or excuse me assists where Bolton has 2.2 per game and Malachi has 1.2 per game and minutes of course where Bolton's playing 25 and Smith is playing about 20. Malachi Smith has been better than Rasir Bolton in the last six games in basically every facet of the game. I think they are comparable as actual on-ball defensive players. Malachi Smith is very good at getting steals. He's very good at, at at kind of being disruptive. Bolton is a also a very good on-ball defensive player, but the fact that Bolton is not clearly better than Smith and Smith is scoring more points, he's shooting more efficiently, he's grabbing more rebounds, he's getting more steals. You got to start to kind of wonder if there's a potential changing of the guard here, like we said, like a, a potential move that could be made. And then you got to factor in Hunter Salas too. And Hunter Salas's numbers, at least offensively, don't look as good, but defensively he is just all three of these guys are good defensive players, but Hunter Salas is the best defender out of this group. And it's not that close. And again, that's not a knock 
on Rasir Bolden or Malachi Smith. That is a compliment to Hunter Salas, who, again, might be the best perimeter defensive player Gonzaga has ever had. I've, I've seen some people say, is he the best since Errol Knight? Well, Errol Knight was like 20-something years ago, so if he's as good as him, if nobody else has been better since then, yeah. Hunter Salas might be the best defensive perimeter defensive player this team has ever, ever had. Uh, in the last few games, in the last six games, the same numbers we used for Rasir Bolton and Malachi Smith. Salas is averaging 4.3 points. He's averaging 1.7 assists. He's averaging one and a half rebounds, and that's in 17 minutes per game. Uh, from in a field goal percentage perspective, he is shooting 64% on twos, way, way. That's more than double what Rasir Bolton is shooting on two-pointers. That is over nearly 20 percentage points higher than what Malachi Smith is shooting on two-pointers. Hunter Salas is the most efficient two-point scorer out of this group. Now, he's taking less attempts than either of those guys, which is a significant caveat uh, to this number. And Bolton's Salas is also only shooting 14% from three in that stretch of time. So, you know, less than half what Bolton is shooting and a third of what Malachi Smith is shooting in that stretch. He's also 83% from the free throw line. Again, fairly small sample size there. So not necessarily data that is overwhelmingly impactful. Uh, his game score in that stretch of time is 3.8. So still higher than Bolton's, still quite a bit lower than Malachi Smith's. But again, Salas, light years ahead of those guys defensively. Amidst a group of good guards, he's still the best one on that end of the floor. I think Bolton might actually be the worst defender out of this group, although I think him and Smith are very, very close. So this begs the question, the big question, should the Zags change the starting lineup? And I think that's what we kind of have to take a look at here. And, and there's, there's a lot of caveats that don't just go into you know, their performance over the last six games. That's not the single most relevant stat. That's not what Mark Few is looking at, nor should it be what Mark Few is looking at. But you have to figure out how these matchups may or may not work. I don't think anybody's unseating Nolan Hickman as the starting point guard, and I don't think that they should. I think Malachi Smith has kind of been playing that backup point guard role, but I also think part of it has been Smith coming into the game and Bolton sort of shifting over to that point guard role. They've also played Hunter Salas in kind of that point guard role as well. So it's kind of it, – I think the easier switch would be to switch Malachi Smith and Rasir Bolton. That to me makes the, makes the most sense. You could argue that Hunter Salas has earned it as much, if not more than Malachi Smith, but it's more about, I think, keeping the, I think Hunter Salas coming off the bench is really nice. I think that's, honestly, that's the easiest way to put it, is that Hunter Salas's defensive intensity is, he just brings such a different feel to Gonzaga's offense and defense. Because he's not a, a guy who needs the ball in his hands, because he's not a, a, a strong outside shooter, he's not like a giving the ball and let him create. That's not really his game. When he comes in on offense, he kind of he can he can run the offense. He can get players in their position. He's a good backdoor cutter. He still requires like attention by opposing defenders, but it allows Gonzaga's other players to really kind of hone in and do what they do offensively. Whereas he is just a wrecking ball on defense. He is the best again, the best perimeter defender. He's guarding the opposing team's best players. He's keeping them in front of him. He's knocking the ball away. He's getting steals. He's getting blocks. He's taking charges. All of that stuff. I think that energy works really well off the bench. And I, I mentioned this on Twitter recently of like, well, basically like, is he better than, and it's like, it's better is not necessarily the equation here. There's a, there's a lengthy argument that could be had about which of these three players is better. And I'm not necessarily going to get into that because it's subjective. It's not, there's not, there's not any specific point that is going to tell you who is better or who is worse. But I think that saying Hunter Salas should come off the bench does not, it is not equal to me saying these guys are better than him. I want to make that very clear. It's just different. 
Look at some of the, I mean, look at Jamal Crawford. Look at Manu Ginobili. They, they were never, ever, ever the sixth best player or worse on their teams. They were always better than that. They were just made more sense for them to come off of the bench. And I think that's kind of the same with Hunter Salas. I think him coming off the bench immediately forcing the opposing offense to do something different. Uh, I think for Mark Few, he could kind of look at which player is killing us, which player is, is causing problems for us early in the game, put Hunter in the game, tell him, hey, get right in that dude's grill. Don't let him get anywhere around you. Do not let him get an open, clean look. Just smother him. And Hunter does that. He does a really good job of it. And I think that that makes the most sense. So I, I advocate for Hunter to continue to come off the bench. I think he could play more minutes. He's averaged 17 per game in the last six games. I think that's pretty good. I think 18 to 20, to even 22 minutes per game would be great, uh, especially against teams that have like ball-dominant guards who, who need to be really wrangled in defensively. Gonzaga's going to face some of those guys as they get into conference play. There's some really good guards in this conference. Khalil Shabazz uh, comes to mind at the uh, University of San Francisco. There's a handful of Houston Millette uh, at Pepperdine. Like there's, there's some really great guards in this conference. And I think Hunter Salas is going to have the biggest impact on this team by coming off the bench and just smothering those players uh, on the defensive end of the floor. But I think there's a strong argument to switch Malachi Smith and Mercier Bolton. Part of the, the downside to that is that it took Malachi a while to adjust to his new role. We kind of alluded to that a little bit in the first segment of the podcast, where he, he came from being a ball-dominant guard, uh, having the basketball in his hands every single possession, to coming off the bench at a much higher level program. And it took him five, six, eight potentially games to really kind of adjust to that role. So swinging him back into the starting lineup may cause some issues there. But looking at what Smith does, he's a – he doesn't need the ball in his hands to score. He, he's adjusted to that role really well. I think he fits the bill next to Nolan Hickman and Julian Strother as a really solid starting combo guard. Rasir Bolton could then kind of play a pseudo backup point guard role where he could come in for Nolan Hickman. He could also come in for Malachi Smith and keep Hickman at the point guard position. Heck, he could come in for Julian Strother and they could play some smaller lineups. Like there's plenty of options, plenty of fluidity that Gonzaga could have in that lineup. So I'm not strongly advocating for a change to the starting lineup. I think Mark Few is going to have to kind of play it by ear and make a determination on, hey, is, is Malachi going to adjust to switching to a starting role okay? Is Bolton going to switch to being a bench role okay? Is that something we want to do to a guy who's been a starter for this long? Like, there's so many factors outside of just the X's and O's, the straight-up statistical analysis here that, that need to be determined. And that's why when Mark Few makes decisions or doesn't make decisions that people think might make sense to them based on statistics or numbers. I think you have to factor in the, the player elements of it. And, and he knows that much more than any of us do, not around the players on a day-to-day -day basis and in practice and all of that stuff. But right now, Malachi Smith is playing better than Rasir Bolton. There's no debate about that. Uh, Hunter Salas is arguably playing better than, than those two guys, or at least he's not playing worse than those two guys right now either. So it's nice to have options for the Zags, certainly. Uh, I would be fairly surprised if I'm making predictions if Mark Few were to make an, a change to the starting lineup. But at this point, with Bolton's continued struggles with the performance of Malachi Smith for the last couple of games, it's absolutely something that is worth strongly considering for the coaching staff. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the new Locked On College Basketball podcast with myself and Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels. That show is available wherever you get podcasts. We just crossed 200 subscribers on YouTube as well. So if you have not done so yet, just go to youtube.com, search Locked On College Basketball, hit that big red subscribe button. You can do that for Locked On Zags as well. Very much appreciated. No show on Thursday. We'll be back on Friday though. So check us out then. 